2: Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsport 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me
0: By the end of the week, he's out of here. You wake me up for that? Come on! Dewey Finn would have sold his soul for rock and roll, but nobody was buying it. You're an embarrassment. You're out! Maybe it's time to give up those dreams. Don't you miss rocking out? You're not a teacher, Ned. You're the cross-dressing incubus from maggot death.
3: Dewey, I'm not a satanic sex god anymore. I'm a sub, and soon I'll be a certified teacher. Is this
0: Mr. Schneebly? I'm the principal here at Horace Green Prep, and we need somebody to start immediately. Mm Hmm, so how much are we talking here? $6.50 a week. Uh, Hello, this is Ned Schneebly. Everyone, I'd like to introduce Miss Dunham's substitute. This is Mr. Schneebly. All right, look, I've got a hangover. Who knows what that means? Doesn't that mean you're drunk? No. means I was drunk yesterday. Now, at the most prestigious prep school in the country... Yes, Tinkerbell. That poster charts everyone's performance. ...where the students are rewarded for following the rules. What kind of a sick school is this? He's going to teach them a lesson... There will be no gold stars or demerits. ...that will rock their world. It's called Rock Band. Is this a school project? It will go on your permanent record. Hello, Harvard, yo. You. What's your name? Zach. You ever play electric guitar? My dad won't let me. Zach, do not walk away from me when I'm talking to you. What makes you mad more than anything in the world? No allowance. Chores. Bullies. All you bullies get out of my way, cause I am right. <laughs> Mr. Schneebly, just wanted to say, that was a really cool lesson today. Oh, thanks, dude. All they wanted was an education. They're gonna laugh at me. You have an incredible singing voice. People are gonna dig you, I swear. Okay. What they got... Clear. ...was a revolution. I've just been informed that all of your children are missing. And if you to be teacher, Jack Black. Oh, the School of Rock. It will test your head and your mind. In your brain There's a
1: really big shoe tonight. A really big show tonight. Yes sir, we've really got a spectacle for you this time.
0: Hey, the Red Rocker Sammy Hagar here and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Ah, uh, woo! Good god, woo!
2: Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Running the computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Don't forget to visit our website, callstreammotorsports.com. You can find out all about us, and if you go to our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, you can hear all, after today, 360 shows. Right, Bobby? Good evening. How are you?
3: Yes, that sounds about right. Why don't you go ahead and do the... Almost s- lost count. Almost <laughs> lost count, yeah. I, you know. <laughs> yeah why don't you go ahead and do the
2: social media honors as well
3: sure facebook twitter youtube instagram linkedin at nostalgic radio and cars at nrc on air and instagram being at the offstream motorsports
2: that's right now uh the beginning of the show we played with jack black school of rock now the reason we're doing that is because we have a very special guest coming on this afternoon he's a local very talented musician guitar collector and car enthusiast so we will have him on, and so we're going to kind of do with the go with the music theme today a little bit. As a matter of fact, you know what, Bobby? Earlier this afternoon, uh, I had to run with your mom to go uh, go to Home Depot. You know, those kind of and to, to to finish up my honey-do list. But anyway, I uh, she wanted to stop by Marshall, so what was I to do? sit in the car, so I went to Guitar Center, and uh, while I was in there, I was listening and trying out the new headphones because you know I need a new set of headphones. But anyway, guess who walks in there? Harvey. So uh, Harvey was in there, and he was uh, getting something straightened out. But uh, anyway, so this... Got to get that equipment looking good before the, <laughs> tonight. That's right, because every Tuesday night, going on, right about the time our show is, <laughs> from 6 to uh, 9.30 or 6 to 10, next door here at Naughty Nancy's, Crow's Nest Pub, is uh, open mic night. So that's generally where we go and hang out a little bit afterwards. And uh, so if anybody's uh, tuning in tonight, if you want some good chow... And some good entertainment. They've actually got some pretty talented guys that show up over there. Um, Bob on the bass is very good. Um, Ron is an excellent lead guitarist. And then they got a drummer over there. I can't remember his name, but he is very, very good. So they got a couple of really good musicians that show up there from time to time. And then just about anybody else that shows up there. Kerry, he's pretty good. He used to play up in Nashville. And uh, so, and Harvey himself, he's a good musician, guitarist, a lot of six string guys out there. And uh, yes, 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 in case you're inquiring, one of these days if I get a little bit better at the guitar, I will probably go over there myself and embarrass myself. But I'm going to stand in the background. I'm going to hide. So at any rate, uh, so what did we do this weekend? Well, we tried to endure the rain as usual, but there was Cars and Coffee at the DuPont Registry, which uh, we went to, or I went to, and uh, Miss Moneypenny was there. So if you get a chance and you check out our Facebook page, there's some pictures up there. But after that, I decided to go over to Dimond Auto Group and hang out there for a while because they have a another Cars and Coffee and uh, it's a pretty cool place and they actually have real live Krispy Kreme donuts, Bobby, our favorite. Since we missed Donut Day, I figured you know I would take deliveries. I'm Don't worry, I ate your share too. Ah, thank so you. I, did, I was thinking of you, so I ate a uh, two chocolates and one glaze because I know you're a glazed uh,
3: donut fan. Now Rob's gonna call in with some trivia about donuts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, radio Rob. And uh, so at any rate, uh, so I went there, hung out there for a while. And if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see some pictures of Miss Moneypenny sitting up in front of the dealership, the Aston Martin dealership there, between flanked by, I should say, two beautiful Aston Martins. In fact, uh, they really the new um Vanquish is uh, quite a quite an interesting piece. In fact, I think we did a little um, little uh, little ditty on uh, the Aston Martin in one of the for one of the James Bond episodes, and uh, they were introducing Q was introducing the new Aston Martin Vanquish to uh, Mr. Bond, and when he clicks a little button, the car actually disappears. So it vanquished. Anyway, uh, not a lot of car show stuff going on, but if you go check out FloridaCarShows.com. Or no, Florida Car, yeah. F L A F L A Car Shows dot com. You will find out where all the local car shows are that are taking place here in Florida. Now, uh Tara Bush, she uh she's the uh, the propr- the proud proprietor proprietor of uh Florida Car Shows dot com or FL com. I'll get it straight here one of the days. And uh we got a guest on the line, Bobby?
3: Oh no no! Oh, just, just
2: calling. Okay, because phone rings all the time. We didn't do any. We haven't done any giveaways in a while. I have to do that. I have to try to get some gift certificates or something. But at any rate, uh, so she just came back from the Hot Rod Power Tour. Now the Hot Rod Power Tour is going on last week. The um, great race with Corky Coker, Coker Tire, that started this past weekend in Jacksonville. and I think it goes all the way up to Michigan. The Bandit Run. Is taking place. And that's our friend Rick down there with uh, the Trans Am. Can't even think of the name of the place, but it's something to do with Trans Am's down in uh, in Miami. Uh, they're doing that and started in Texas. And what they do is I didn't know they did this every year, but evidently they do, and it's been going on for a while. I think this is the seventh or eighth year. But they do a uh, what they call a Bandit Run, and they run the Smoking Bandit uh, the the run from Texas to uh, to Georgia. And I think it ends this weekend, and apparently, from what I understand, Burt Reynolds will be there. So that should be pretty cool. And, of course, the TA that we have access to still has to get a motor put in it, and we have to get that done by our good friend up there at Tim's Performance Center. Right, Bobby? That is true. In case Tim's listening, I know i got a 455 sitting on the showroom floor, showroom floor, on the floor there, because the motor in the 73 TA is locked up. For some strange reason, I do not know. This is this is this is really weird. You know, you can have a car, you can have it sit, and I've got numerous cars, Fords, mostly because I'm a Ford guy, and they've sat for years and 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 years. I pour a little gas down the carburetor, clean the points, put a hot battery in it, ooh, fires right up. And um, and then of course you can have a car that's been sitting around. Like I got an old Hemi motor laying around that's been sitting around for probably 30 years that I've had it. And uh, it's an old 392 out of a 58 Imperial. And that thing is just locked up tighter than the drum. I cannot get that thing to break loose. So apparently the uh, TA's got the same issue. And uh, that belongs to a friend of mine, but um, we have access to it. But at any rate, so once we get the TA running, maybe next year, maybe next year we'll do the, uh, the Bandit Run, which would be kind of fun, or maybe we'll do the Hot Rod Power Tour, or maybe we'll do the uh, Great Race. And uh, a lot of fun. And um, there's also a number of local rallies that take place here, and uh, we will probably apprise you of those as we find out about them. But generally, there's not too much car stuff going on in Florida in the summertime. Although, although, if you look at the FloridaCarShows.com... Oh, we got a a little... Speaking of rock and roll, yeah. How about a little AC/DC, right? Yeah. AC- since
3: Rob said to play good music, I figured we play good music. Okay. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic green Cars. We got a little AC/DC,
2: and this is a long way to rock and roll. Is that the name of the song? That's it. That's it. Okay. Hey, don't touch that dial. We will be right back. Our special guest will be with us shortly. <laughs>
1: Ribs at you. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN TAN Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock
0: every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight.
1: We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Guru Show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. Uh-huh
0: Hey, everybody. This is Andy Powell, guitarist, Wishbone Ash, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
2: Yes! And we're back. Andy Powell. Wishbone Ash. That was a good band back in the 70s. Anyway, yes, we're going to our theme tonight is music, rock, and roll, and all that other good stuff. So, uh, yes, I'm a terrible musician, but I like guitars, so I think guitars are cool, and I'm getting a little bit better at it. You know, practice makes perfect. So, uh, anyway, let's talk about, about, about cars. What was I talking about? I was talking about bandits. Is that what I was talking about? The we were
3: talking about the Bandit, right? Yeah,
2: so, and, and Firebirds and stuff like that, and uh, I'll tell you what, speaking of cars, the second-gen Camaros and Firebirds from 1970 1980 have become highly prized and highly collectible, let alone the 76, 77, actually 77 Bandit Edition cars. By the way, it's the 40th anniversary of Smokey and the Bandit. any rate, started out as a 76 Special Edition SE. They didn't make a lot of those cars. What's even rarer is if you can find one with a 455, and even rarer that, a 455 with a 4-speed. Actually, I think 76 was the last year for a 455 and a Firebird. 77 was a 400. And then I lost the bet one time because 1979 was the last year for a 400. And you could only get four speeds behind 400s and actually Pontiac 301s. You could not get a four speed behind an Oldsmobile 403, which is what they put in 78, 79, 80, 81, 79, 80, 80, somewhere in there. Anyway, so if you can find a good deal on a second gen Camaro, they are, or Firebird, they are excellent. Excellent handling cars, and you can still buy those nice drivers under, I'm going to say realistically 15 grand. and you can buy a driver, driver, driver. A really, really, really nice one is going to set you back probably 25, $30,000. But again, listen to what I say, guys. Find the nicest car you can for the money that runs and drives and needs the least about work. Unless you're really professional with tools, you know, and beyond the capabilities of a tinkerer, but I mean a wrench by definition then you definitely don't want to take on a serious project car. You just want to get something that just needs a little bit of touch-up here and there, something within your limitations. Obviously, paint work's no big deal. You can find somebody to do that. Major mechanicals, you can find somebody to do that. But the little stuff's, you know, you should know how to do that. In fact, that was one of the things, when we get uh, Tara Bush, we're going to have her come on our show here in a couple weeks, and she's going to talk about Florida Car shows and the Hot Rod Power Tour and keeping a box of tools... And spare parts in the back of your car. So if you do break down, you can fix it and get back on the road and not spoil your trip. Which Bobby and I went to, God, that was back in the early 2000s. We drove the old rat-turd Camaro up there. We had a 76, 70, no, 74 Z28, factory four-speed air car. Nasty as can be, but nearly perfect, perfect interior. I mean, it. it's so rusty. Actually, the floorboard's good and the roof's good. Everything other Every other panel on the car is rusty as can be. When you close the door, it closes twice. First, the inside of the door closes, and the outside of the door closes. Okay, when you go down the road, the dog leg flaps at you. That's the piece between the rear, rear wheel well and the, uh, and the and the door. That's called a dog leg, that little narrow strip right there. any rate, so we rolled up there in that thing and with the left bank smoking, which is typical of a Chevrolet because the valve seals already go out in them. Not to mention they over- tend to overheat and rings go bad. You know, Chevrolets. Chevrolet, yes, I will say they twist and they're fast, but they are very, very weak motors as a rule. Who we got on the phone there, Bobby? Any, no comments? Okay. just want to make sure the peanut gallery is not, you know, chiming in all the time. But at any rate, uh, so we drove the Rat up there, and what was really, really cool about the Power Tour is, in spite of the fact that that was a nasty, ugly-looking car, but it was cool, because it was a legit original car, and a factory color was yellow, and that's the brochure color for 1974, especially the Z28, and this is a Z28 with uh, Z28 graphics on it. As a matter of fact, there are no Chevrolet emblems on this car. You guys all know I'm a Ford guy, right? I took all the Chevrolet emblems off, and I contoured... Ford Oval Emblems, they are on the car, so it, it threw everybody. But you know what? The guys invited me in there. They were all cool. It wasn't like you know, a local car show where they rat on you all the time, rat, rag on you. Uh, we just pulled up there next to two really cool cars. We had a good time that day, didn't we, Bobby?
3: We did, and yeah. now we're going to hear from someone late soon who's actually done the whole thing.
2: Yes, and Tara's going to come on the show. In fact, she is what they call a long hauler, and a long hauler is generally someone that runs the complete entire power tour. So, like For example, this year it started in Kansas. And it ended up at uh, in Bloomington, uh, not Bloomington, in uh, St. Louis, where the uh, Corvette factory is. And, uh, no, that's, that's where they were originally made. They're in, well, I tell you what, I can't even remember. There's someplace, I can't remember. Where were they, wherever they ended here, wherever the Corvette factory is, the new one. Man, I'm bad. So, at any rate, I should know that. Um, thank God there's no quiz. So, at any rate. uh so, Bowling Bowling Green, Green Kentucky. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, very good, Bobby. Thank you. Anyway, so what a long hauler is is the person who drives from point A to the start of the race and runs the whole seven-day course, okay? Some people just do one or two days. Like, we just drove up to Orlando. It started here in Orlando um, back when we did it in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, whenever it was. And then, I, I don't know, I think it went up to maybe Michigan or something like that. So, uh, but, uh, so a long hauler is someone who goes in for the whole duration. And she drives a Chevy two. Actually, it's a Canadian model. It's called an Arcadia you know, and uh, that's a Nova or Malibu or whatever it is. Um, I think it's a Chevy 2. The Canadian Chevy 2 is an Arcadia. Anyway, so she, I thought it was different, but uh, no, Malibu is a Beaumont. I don't know. It's a Chevrolet. Let's put it that way. Canadian Chevrolet. So, uh, one thing about Canadian... So,
3: therefore, we don't have to get it right.
2: Therefore, we don't have to get it right. Well, I will say this about Canadian Chevrolets. Canadian Chevrolet, General Motors of Canada, documented all their stuff. You cannot counterfeit a Canadian-built Chevrolet, you can counterfeit an American-made one. So that's why there's 6,000 more LS6 454 four-speed Chevelles and uh, LS6 70 Corvettes than they made because there's no way to document them unless you have the original motor, numbered matching, and uh, protector plate and all that other good stuff. So, hey, uh, you're turning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and this is a little... Uh, is this Foo Fighters? Yes, it is. Ever... What's the name of the song? Everlong. Everlong. Hey, you're tuned to Nostalgic Radio Cars. This song goes out to our special guest, and I'm sure Radio Rob would like a little contemporary uh, rock and roll too. This goes out to you too, Rob.
0: on your friends and always keep your mouth shut as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster
3: hey mom what do you think you look like a gangster i know
0: I by the time i grew up there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through idyllis airport and believe me we tried to steal every bit of it what do you do i'm in construction he's not jewish mazel, tov. mazel tov. For most of the guys, killing's got to be accepted. Hey, Henry, here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. Here's a wing. <laughs> what do you like? The leg and a wing, Henry. For us, to live any other way was nuts. <laughs> We were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's gonna be a good summer. (laughs) It was a glorious time. In a world that's powered by violence, on the streets where the violent have power, a new generation carries on an old tradition. Hi, I'm Pat Simmons from the Doobie Brothers, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
3: Okay,
2: we're back, and uh, you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and now it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. I'm delighted to welcome this gentleman to our show. He's a friend of mine. He's an excellent musician. He's a guitar collector, and he's also a car enthusiast. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Stevie B. Stevie, how you doing? Good,
1: brother. How about yourself? How
2: you doing tonight? Very, very good. So uh, you're about uh, 2,000 miles away, right?
1: I am. I'm about 1,200 miles away. Oh. I'm up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, up near Pittsburgh, up in the mountains.
2: Okay. Well, we'll say 2,000 if we there and back. How about that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right.
2: <laughs> that's that's how we turn it around. There we go. Anyway, so how there you been? You I'm doing
1: great, man. Just in, living the dream. You know how it goes.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's take uh, take us back to uh, Stevie B when Stevie B first picked up a six string.
1: Oh, I moved to Florida in uh, July of 71, and uh, previous from that, I was just a little Italian boy in New York City playing the accordion, and I moved to Florida, and I had to keep taking accordion lessons because my parents made a big investment, and six months into that, the accordion teacher died, and I was off the hook, and uh, I started mowing lawns, and poof, bought myself a little bass guitar at Uncle Sam's Pawn Shop in Town & Country in Tampa, and within three or four weeks, I had the money to pick it up, and that was it. I just came home and started going crazy, learned... uh, grand funk and black Sabbath and all the, you know, early stuff of the day. And that was it. I instantly had friends who played in bands at school and they were dying for a bass player. And uh, I was in like three or four bands, even though I barely could play.
2: Wow. Now tell us a little bit how
1: that works.
2: Now, most people, if you're, if, uh, well, tell us about the difference between a bass guitar and a, uh, and a regular, uh, six string guitar. So they know what well, the
1: difference is. Uh, four strings versus six strings. And you play in the, l- the lower register. Um, you know, when, this day, of course, you know, beats and bottom end is the big thing. Uh, you know, in a standard band, you need at least a guitar player, bass player, and drums—a three-piece band—to hold down the low end. And uh, it's, you know, it's the same notes E, A, D, G. You just don't have the B and the E. And it's, you know, basically, uh, you know, two octaves below that. So you get that nice low end. It kind of you lock in with the drums, and it kind of, kind of spread it out. And the guitar player just lays right on top of it and puts melody right on it, and that's just all comes together.
2: A bass player is very, very essential in a band. So tell us about why a bass player is very, very important.
1: Well, bass player basically is really your timekeeper. You know, your drummer's kind of sort of hitting the beat, but the bass player's kind of the meter. It kind of keeps the meter going. You lock in with the drummer, and you basically, you're laying the foundation down. So, that, you know, it's the bottom layer. It's the foundation. And then you put the guitar and the vocals on top of that. It just, uh, you know, it's it's it puts the it's the muscle in the music, basically.
2: Okay. Now, how... Hi- for the reason someone would pick up and learn a bass versus a electric, I mean a six string, is you know some there's a misconception there, and, and I went through that myself because I struggled with the six string. So I thought, well, two less strings, a four string bass would be a le- lot easier to learn, but that's not necessarily the case, is it?
1: No, you know it's a different concept. Really, you're not really playing chords; you're playing notes, and you're playing runs and scales, and you're you're basically lock. You're meshing with that drummer. You're like I say, you're trying to you know. You're putting it's kind of like the peanut butter on the bread. You, it holds it all together. Um, you know, it's it's a you know it's a percussive instrument. It's a rhythm instrument. Whereas a guitar player is more of a lead instrument. Um, and it's it's you're playing with your fingers. You know, if you're a real bass player, there are bass players that are converted guitar players that use picks. And not that you can't use a pick from time to time, but essentially, you know, the majority of the bass players play with their fingers and with their thumbs. So it's a it's a muscular thing. You know, it's not for the faint of heart.
2: Okay, now back in the day in the, in the 70s, you played in uh, a number of bands. Tell us about some of the bands that you played with and some of the some of the venues yeah. around here.
1: Well, you know of course I played in your, you know your you know your run of uh, junior high and high school bands. I've played at my own dances and proms, which is always kind of fun. and then of course uh, in about 78 I started a band with a good friend of mine who I'm currently playing with again Kent. We played in the band called Citizen and we basically uh uh, we we basically ruled the Tampa Bay area for you know at that time we you know we were you know favorites at every club. We used to play Charlie's on Clearwater Beach and Skips in the courtroom and Mark Twain in Forty Ninth Street Mining Company and uh, it was just a great time to be alive. I mean it was a totally different era. The, the drinking age was only eighteen back then, so you had people coming in that were. 16, 17 years old with their sisters and brothers' IDs. And, you know, the (laughs) cops were basically like your grandfather. Nobody was like, you know, Mayberry RFD. There was no Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And it was just, uh, there was no cell phones, no computers, no distractions. I mean, every bar, whether it was a tavern or a pub or a sandwich shop, everybody had a band. That was your draw to get people in. And you get them in and, you know, everybody would come in and dig on the band. And back in those days, you played six or seven nights a week. So you'd start on a Monday night, you'd have a little crowd Tuesday night, people would hear about you You'd come Wednesday, Thursday night would be a ladies night, the ladies would come and then the weekend, everybody would get paid and pile in. So you had like a whole week to build up this really good, uh, you know, rapport with the people and, uh, you know, a good following. And, you know, and sometimes you were playing for two weeks and then normally you were just going, you know, a couple of miles away down the street and, you know, people would follow you over there and, uh, it was just a great thing, you know, thing to do. Uh, that band morphed into a band called Fallen Angel. We had a new drummer and one less guitar player, and that band did a lot of touring throughout Florida and uh, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. And then after that, you know, a band called Ransom, which was based out of the, the East Coast, and we did a lot more East Coast stuff. We, you know, Cocoa Beach and Melbourne, and a lot more surf spots. Daytona Beach. We'd play six weeks at a time at the Ocean Pier. There'd be two bands. We used to play with a band called Pendulum. They were called the Rock of Virginia. And they would start the show one night, they'd play for an hour, and then they'd go one, two, three, and they'd stop their song, and then one, two, three, four, we'd start our set, and we'd go back and forth three one hour sets apiece, and you did that seven nights a week, and it was a six week engagement. So, you know, needless to say, you know, the bands back then were, you know, tight as can be. I mean, you played hundreds and hundreds of sets a year, thousands of sets a year, and, you know, you played 350 nights a year pretty much back then. You played all the holidays, all the New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, Thanksgivings, New Year's. You were you know, really, really busy. And, uh, you know, you, you know, the more, the the bands became, you know, in demand, you know, the more popular you got and they you know, you got more and more money and then more and more clothes would hear about you. We had booking agents back then who would basically send us all over back and we'd, you know, be routed properly. You know, the better the band, the better the routing. So you go from Tampa to St. Pete from St. Pete, you go to Bradenton, Sarasota, Fort Myers, and you flip over to the East coast, you do Hollandale, Fort Lauderdale, you do, uh, um, Port Pierce you'd work your way up to cocoa Beach you'd work your way over to Daytona Jacksonville Pensacola then you'd work your way into you know Georgia and it was just a you know it was a full-time job back then it was a, it's totally different than it is today I mean it, you know you really could make a living at it back then and uh, it was just a it was just a good time to be alive
2: <laughs> now the, the the crowds back in the day um, compared to today obviously you played a lot of the the covers. And did sure. you play, and a lot of probably you know uh, some of your original music. What's the?
1: Well, go
2: ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, what was it like? You know, I mean, we're you know because the people, the audience, and what's interesting is because you play at Ricky T's on uh, Treasure Island, and Bobby and I were down there a couple of weeks ago watching you guys play. And what was interesting is I'm looking around, I'm going, whoa, hey, this is like uh, Charlie's Place in 1975 when I used to <laughs> hang out down there because it's the same demographic. So is, is. that is yeah. that is that about to say is that is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, back then though, there was a lot less distractions. I mean, today when you play in a crowd, I mean, you have a little bit of everybody. Luckily, Ricky T's is a beach place, so you have your local people that come that like the band that follow the band, and you have people that are on vacation. You're there to entertain them. And they're, you know, they're there to have a good time to drink. They have nowhere to go. They don't have to drive or anything. So, you know, they usually get to party down pretty hard, and they don't have to worry about driving anywhere. So they let it all hang out. Uh, today, in a lot of other clubs, when you play at. Uh, the difference today is that people are so distracted. You'll look out into the crowd and you'll see girls' faces that are glowing blue from their cell phones. I mean, everybody's distracted. Everybody you can't get that phone out of their hands. They're texting. They're looking at websites. They're live Facebooking. They're posting. So uh, the band is kind of, you know, in, in some places it's kind of background, you know, where the beach bars, you know, know—you're—it's—it's it's still, you know, kind of the good old days. It's still, you know, good entertainment. People go down there to have a really good time.
2: And the... Uh Let's talk about the music industry a little bit. You know, when you you guys were bands back in the day, and did you, along with your, your contemporaries at the time, was it a goal to, you know, become a big-name band, and what was it like trying to achieve that goal?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every band aspired to, you know, have a record deal, you know, because back then, that's how you got, you know, you, you, know, you played these showcase gigs. You know, we did a lot of gigs in Orlando and, you know— uh Up in Jacksonville and these big clubs, and you know there was there was you know uh, Molly Hatchet and Thirty Eight Special and Leonard Skinner. There was bands that came out of here. You know, you know a lot of them were in the Southern Rock band, but you had the Outlaws, you had White Witch. So there was you know bands that were getting. You know, Stranger was the band that we used to be called Romeo. Then they you know they got you know kind of close. They got a record deal and had an album going. So and they were guys that we played with and knew all the time. So everybody felt, you know, you know, was with your grass. So you basically went out there and, you know, you were playing every single day. So, I mean, everybody was tight and during the afternoons, you'd wake up and have some lunch and then everybody would get together and write some songs. And then, you know, you, you know, rehearsed them in the afternoon, you played them that night and you, it was a proving ground for you back then. You get to see what went over and what didn't. And, uh, one of the bands we were in street life was, uh, pretty successful. We were kind of on the verge. We had, you know, little EPs and, uh, back then we were you know we had cassettes that was what we had that was the format back then we had our own cassette that we could sell at our gigs and all the original stuff and if you listen to it today it it sounds fantastic it all holds up very well compared to uh, a lot of the you know stuff that you would hear but i um, basically it was uh, it was who you know right place at the right time and unfortunately a lot of the record execs that would come down to Florida would come down and we'd get so seduced by the the partying and the women and the drinking, that they were kind of kind of like a vacation. They'd come down, they'd kind of forget what they were there for. So they would, you know, you'd be partying their brains out, but then the next day they would kind of forget what they saw. So, uh, you know, it was, it was you know, challenging to say the least, but everybody who tried it, uh, the, guitar, the guitar player I'm with now, Kent, me and him left the band Street Life, which was a very successful band. We toured a lot. We were making really good money back in those days. And good money for those days was in the... You know, twenty-five to three thousand dollars a week range. So, I mean, you're playing six and seven nights a week. So, it, when you start out early, most of the bands start out. Everybody was pretty much playing most of the week, or at least four days. And you would start out in the uh, eight hundred to a thousand range, and then you get bumped up to twelve to fifteen. And then if you hit two thousand, it was remarkable. So, we were at that twenty-five to three range. And you needed it because you had, you know, a sound man, light man, you had a road crew guy, you had a 24-foot U-Haul, you had hotel rooms, you know, you traveled a lot, you had to pay your agent 15%. And uh, we got kind of tired of it, we got a little bit burnt out, so we went to L.A., which was the epicenter at the time, that was height of the MTV era, and uh, the direction that the band was heading in was a much heavier direction, you know, st- you know and we were still more... Writing more, you know, pop rock and harder, you know, standard hard rock songs, and we just thought we'd go out there and you know give it a stab. We wrote a lot of good songs, and problem out there is that you really end up having to pay to play. Um, most of the clubs out there, there's bands are a dime a dozen. It's kind of like it's players in Nashville; they're everywhere, and uh, LA is really spread out. So you might have a gig that's in LA, but it's three hours from your house, you know, and it takes forever on these freeways to get places, and you have to, you don't get paid. You have to basically. Sell tickets or give out tickets, and they would give you a percentage of you know what who showed up with your ticket. And then if you wanted the sound, you had to pay seventy five dollars for a sound guy, and if you wanted a light show, you had to pay fifty, and if you wanted a really good light show, you had to pay a hundred. So you, you weren't really making any money. It was an outrageous apartments back in the day. I mean, it was three times the price of Florida even back then. And you know, you, everybody was struggling. And the problem with the, the musicians out there, were the musicians were, everybody was trying to trying to get signed, and everybody was playing in three and four different bands. So they were very disloyal to the band. It wasn't like an all for one thing like it was here in Florida. Um, it wasn't the camaraderie where people stuck together. If you didn't have a record deal in two weeks or three practices, they were out and on to the next thing. You had guys that were playing in rock band on Monday, a new wave band on Tuesday, a punk band on Wednesday. Uh, You know, originally, you know, they were just, they were everywhere. So it was, it was tough. So I stayed, I made it for about two years and then I came back and then I decided to go out and try it again. I went out for about another six months and then I finally just, you know, just realized that just, you know, it wasn't going to happen for me. I, 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 financially couldn't afford to stay out there. I was, you know, just, I was penniless basically. And I came back and, uh, it all worked out for me when I came back. So, uh, you know, you know, I, I gave it, I gave it a pretty good shot.
2: Okay. So then after that, you ended up doing what? You 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 kind of worked for a couple well, of workers?
1: Well, the last job I had before I left there, the second time I went out there, I ended up getting a job working at Guitar Center. Back when Guitar Center only had three or four stores, they were just an L.A.-based chain. So I worked at the store in Sherman Oaks, and I worked at the uh, accessory counter selling strings and accessories and pedals and cables and that kind of thing. And uh just you know, was really wanted get into the guitar department because that was my love, of course. And but you know, the old pros in there just wouldn't even let you anywhere near the department. So I moved back and I ended up getting a job at Thoroughbred Music, and I became you know you know top guitar salesman at Thoroughbred Music and uh, started playing again. And then I ended up getting involved with the top forty bands and getting house gigs and making real money. And so it was kind of the best of both worlds. I'd play till two in the morning, get home, get a few hours sleep, get up, shower, shave, go to work, work till. Six thirty, seven o'clock at home, shower, shave, and back over to the house gig, and then eventually uh, the music just took over. The money was too good, and you know it was just uh, a wonderful situation. And uh, we got it. We had a house gig. We played. We traveled for a while, and then we had a house gig at Holiday and Surfside, which is no longer there now on um, Clearwater Beach. We played there for I don't know, probably a year and a half, and then we were seen by a club that was called Coyotes, which is in Lo- was Loman's Plaza, which is now Walmart at uh uh Coachman Road in US nineteen and they opened up a brand new nightclub and we were hired to be the house band there and we were there for twenty seven months. So that was so I went from a year and a half gig to a twenty seventh month gig. So I basically only had to move my gear two times in, you know, three and a half years. So it was wonderful money and, you know, you, you know, they covered your drinks, you covered your food. You never had a tab. You they would you know, they would write you up on a tab at the end of the week they'd say how much do I owe? Nothing. And then, you know, you were paid in cash and it was it was unbelievable. I mean, it's uh, you, you, you had to pinch yourself sometimes. You couldn't believe how good it was.
2: <laughs> so sure. when when did uh, now you're you're uh, a guitar aficionado? Okay, absolutely. So yeah, and uh, and uh, and and when did you start collecting guitars? When did it kind of occur to you that yeah, this is kind of cool? I mean,
1: well, I there's... really always collected guitars. Really, I mean, even at like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I had two, three, four guitars. You know, they were middle-of-the-road guitars. Well, they were actually pretty good guitars. You know, today, you wish you had some of those guitars back. But, um, you know, back in those days, you didn't have a lot of money. So, of course, if you wanted to get something good, you always had to trade something in. So you let a lot of pieces go. But um, and even in the mid-'80s, I mean, I guess I guess kind of working at Thoroughbred kind of gave me the bug. I had a couple of guys I worked with, and they, were, they had been working at Thoroughbred since the 70s, and they... Had a mass, massive collection. They would get. They would buy everything that came to the door. So they had the rarest of rare things. But back in those days, the rarest of rare things weren't really a lot of money. I mean, I remember buying, you know, seventies P bases, which today are in the twenty five, three thousand dollars range. You could buy them for two fifty and three hundred dollars. So I mean, everything's escalated so much. But uh, you know, that's kind of when the light really kind of clicked on for me it was probably eighty. I guess eight about eighty five or eighty six, and uh, and I just never looked back. And you know, today I you know probably have you know, close to 400 pieces, and, you know, of course, I've been in the business for so long, so in over the years, I mean, uh, you know, I've bought so many guitars and so many collections, and, you know, you, you buy 15, 20 guitars, you keep three or four that you really like, and you sell the other ones, And you know, you, you know, you move on, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's like being a boy in a man's body, you know, you, you just can't get enough.
3: <laughs>
2: now, if somebody was interested in collecting guitars, they don't necessarily have to be a musician. You can just appreciate the guitar oh, for what the no.
1: guitar. As a matter of fact, some, some of the best collections belong to doctors, lawyers, captains of industry. I've been, you know, I, I would sell guitars to you know, to guys that barely could play a D chord, but they had the best of everything. You know, you get guys that have, you know, different reasons to collect. Some people, you know, collect the year they were born. So, I mean, they'd go back. They were born in 1962. They'd have a 62 Strat, a Telly, a Les Paul. Then they'd get all the custom colors, uh, you know, there's people that collect. You know, uh, you know, there's themed guitars. You know, they're into uh, the heavy metal themes. They have the splattered guitars, the green guitars, the pink guitars. You know, they're Steve Vai fans. They have all his fancy monkey grip guitars. You have guys that are Stevie Ray fans. and They have all these, you know, wild Fender Stratocasters. Hendrix fans that have all the limited edition stuff. So um, the music industry does a the guitar industry does a pretty good job at keeping the collectible thing. I mean, if you're a NASCAR fan, they have guitars that have NASCAR themes on them. If you're a you know, whatever whatever you like, they'll they'll find a way to sell it to you.
2: Yeah. Well, now the thing that I've I've noticed, and I'm going to draw an analogy, or not an analogy, but a parallel here, since I deal in classic and antique cars and stuff like that. One of the things that we've got to worry about in our industry is reproduction and counterfeit stuff, and how it's passed Absolutely. off. And I didn't realize this since, I. And I, I'm not really a, car, a guitar collector, although there's a few guitars that I like that I'm looking to collect, which. You know, obviously, I'm a um, big uh, Robbie Krieger fan, uh, and uh, as a as, you know, as Gibson SG, Mustangs that you're kind of thing, and the Mustang, that. yeah, Fender Mustangs and stuff. <laughs> and uh, but what I'm running into is all this counterfeit stuff, and how they're passed off, and how these guys are like, uh, you know, oh yeah, it's it's real. You know, I mean, so
1: well, the pro- the problem with it is, is that you know, particularly in Fender guitars and Fender style guitars, that basically it's a kit guitar. I mean, let's face it, a Strat and a Telecaster is a kit guitar they run off a bunch of necks and a bunch of bodies and they screw them together and slap a pick card and some strings on and poof, send it down a line, you know, and away you go. So you get people now that are, you know, everybody's a, you know, builder and, you know, and that the the prices are getting, you know, it's like cars. I mean, the the stakes are high. I mean, it's not, the guitar is not a $300 guitar anymore. It's a $3,000 guitar. So there's always going to be people that are going to try to, you know, scam somebody that way. So you really have to you know, look under the hood, basically. In your business, you have to make sure that numbers match. In our business, we have to make sure that, you know, when you have to take it apart, you have to look at the pots. You have to look at the jacks. You have to look at the bridges. You have to kind of know what you're looking at. You have to look at tuning keys. You have to look at the bottom of pickups. You have to take it apart. I mean, you can't really take anybody's word anymore because, you know, a lot of times people that are in the business you know have got money to open a business but they really don't know what they're really doing they just it's all dumb luck you know they decided they've always loved guitars. they've retired from the business and they're going to open up a shop and then there's always a guy that's going to come in there and say oh this is a you know well what is this this is a 66 you know mustang it's you know is it original Oh, it's all original i've had it since brand new and you know the guy you know this is so excited to own this piece and uh, they don't really do their homework very good and you know, they misrepresent the guitars. And that's what it is. A lot of it's misrepresentation on a thing. And um, they've come up with so many reissues and replicas and relic guitars these days that it's pretty easy to do that. You can age a guitar and, uh, you know, you can wear it out in certain as You can put a cigarette on the headstock and burn it and make it look old. You can, uh, you know, put it in a smoke chamber and make the nicotine stains go into the varnish. So, um, you know, it's buyer beware. <laughs> yeah, we call that patina in the
2: car world. And believe patina. or not,
1: yeah.
2: Believe or not, just like you talked about what you, they what they do with the guitar, they actually have paints now that you can and it's a process. They actually sell it, then you can actually take something that's new and you can make it look very very old and authentic. And there's an art to it, but uh, there's a lot of people doing it. And, uh, it's,
1: it's true. I mean, I was involved in the sports memorabilia business for a while. I've always been a baseball fan and I, you know, back in the eighties, I also had baseball card shops, you know, in, in that's actually, actually, I made my fortune in baseball cards, which I parlayed into guitars because working at stores, you don't really make a lot of money. You know, we have access to guitars, but I, you know, used to do, you know, cards back before we got into it. I did it like in the mid eighties. And then by the time it exploded in the late eighties and early nineties, I already had made my money and got moved down the road, but people did the same thing with fake autographs, you know, and, uh. You know, they would, and, and even vintage cards, the cards got very expensive, and people would actually trim the edges of the cards. They do the same thing with guitars, too. They basically, they'll, I used to know a guy, actually, this is kind of a, a sad story, but he was a repair guy and a pretty reputable dealer, actually, here in Florida, up, up in the northern part of the state. And every time he would do a repair on a guitar, no matter what it was, you know, Gibson or Fender, he would steal a part out of it. He would, whether it would be a pot, a knob or two. Um, you know, tuning key, he would take a part or two and or, or if he would, you know, t- the tuning keys were going bad he wouldn't give them their keys back, he would just say oh, I got your new keys, but don't worry about it, I just threw them on there because these were better, la-di-da-di-da so anyway, he had a giant parts bin full of parts so he had a guy in North Carolina who actually, you know, the FBI actually nabbed this guy, and they were retopping guitars, so basically Gibson quit doing Les Paul's in 1960 in the body shape that we know today uh, Les Paul's wife, Mary Ford the guitar was big and awkward for her so they came up with the SG body style which was called the Les Paul in 61 to 63 so Gibson you know basically had all these leftover slab bodies so they didn't throw anything away ever so in 1968, when they started, when they finally came back out with the Les Paul again uh, in the body shape that we know, the single cutaway, a lot of the early ones that first came out for the first two years were basically '50s bodies and '60s bodies that were like left over from then. That they they would just, you know, put a you know whatever top they wanted to put on it, and uh, away it went. So you have guys that would hunt down these bodies and they would re-top the guitars. This is when flame tops were first starting to take off. Now today they're insane. They're Two fifty to half a million dollars for the right guitar, but back then they were thirty five to fifty thousand, which was still a lot of money. So this one guy up in North Carolina would retop the guitars and age the tops, and you know this guy had it down. I mean, you could—he's the guy who, if you needed something refinished, you could send it to him. But you know, he was seduced by the dark side, so he started coming up with these knockoffs. And he would—this guy would buy these, you know, 1968-69 guitars until they kind of ran out, and they would retop them, and then he would have all this, you know, stash of real parts. He'd have real. 58, 57 pots, pickups, PAFs, bridges. And so he would, you know, basically come up with it. They would have cases and it would look authentic. I mean, they got away with it many, many years. And then finally they sold it to the wrong guy whose brother-in-law was an FBI agent. And, you know, the guy found out he tried to sell it at some auction. And somebody looked at it with a black light and realized that, you know, something had been done. They took it apart. and Upon closer examination, they realized that it was, you know, they were duped. But they were phenomenal. You really really was very hard to tell i saw a few of the guitars and you believe me you'd be really hard pressed to see there was you know little telltale signs a lot of times the binding is really the giveaway on that thing but the stakes are high on that kind of stuff so i mean when when there's that that much at stake you know there's counterfeiters out there that just you know seize the opportunity and that's a way for them to make money for as long as they can get away with it
2: we got a few minutes left tell us about stevie b's the guitar stevie shop B. your business yes
1: these, um, the business, yeah, oh, DVB's yeah. guitars. Well, yeah, I started DVB's you... uh, basically in nineteen ninety, the end of ninety-five, uh-huh. and uh, first location was uh, at US nineteen in Carler Road, which is still there today. And I, you know, started it just just myself with a little uh, seven hundred square foot showroom. And then after you know a year, I had a travel agent next door, and the travel industry wasn't doing too well because of the online stuff. So and he hit the noise through the wall. He couldn't take it anymore, just it sort of a Italian <laughs> guy, and he splits, and that we got the second side. And then we had a pizza hut on the other side they're working on Curlew Road, and they decided they were, you know, going to, they couldn't guarantee delivery on pizzas because there's too much traffic in there, so they left that, and I ended up getting the third spot, and, uh, it just, it just grew, and we just, you know, we, we, we bought everything in sight. You know, Florida's no one guitar buyer, and that's, you know, I did a lot of advertising and was very aggressive, and I bought everything I could see. I've always loved used and vintage stuff more than I like new stuff, so you buy enough new stuff to satisfy the beginners, and you buy all the used and vintage stuff, and it just took off from there. In 2003, I opened the store at 650 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. And in 2009, I opened up a store up in here in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where I'm at right now, so I had three stores for a while. And I had really good people, luckily. Uh, nobody's ever been hired from CVBs. I handpicked everybody. So I always had really good people that I knew and trusted. And I knew how to delegate authority. And I wasn't afraid to leave people there. And through the miracle of the cell phone, you can run businesses from everywhere. So I you just built it up. And uh, then I was able to uh, sell the business to my employees. And it's still they still got it running today. And uh, they do a great job. And you know, Bear and Chris and Zach, they run the store and they do great repairs. They've been there for, you know, for they grew up in that store. They've been there for 15, 18 years, some of those guys. The store's been there for 21 years and, you know, still still rocking and rolling, man. We just, uh, we you know, good customer service, make everybody happy. We do great repairs and, you know, we we listen to our customers and we try to carry what they want and, you know, we... You know, we never run out of bread and milk, which are your strings and accessories, and, you know, we just, you know, we, we we show up every day and turn the key, and that's 50% of it right there is just being aggressive and, you know, not letting people down.
2: And then if you want to buy good vintage guitars, that's where you want to go, Stevie B's up there on 19, right?
1: Absolutely. Stevie B's on 30111 US19 North in Clearwater, or you can check them out at com. I believe they have a Facebook page as well, and... Uh, they're great guys. I mean, they're very knowledgeable. And of course, in anything that they, you know, they don't know, I'm their, you know, they can call me. I'm their consultant, basically. And, you know, I can, you know, and I have a massive stash of vintage stuff as well, too. So if they haven't got it, you know, I probably do.
2: Very good. Why don't you go ahead and give out their phone number real quick, since I'm sure you know. by Yeah,
1: phone number, of course, is 727 area code. It's in Pinellas, and it's 785-9106. 785-9106 at Stevie B's. You'll want to Talk to Bear. He's a resident guitar guru there. Bear or Chris can take care of you, and they'll do you right. I mean, if you have a guitar you haven't played in a long time, it needs strings. They'll restring it, and set it up for you. If you need lessons, they do lessons. They do they repair guitars and amps. If you're a beginner and you've never played or always wanted to play, it's you know it's very simple. It's like learning a language that has twelve words, it's twelve notes, A B C D E F G, and a few sharps and flats. So, um, it's a very you know it could be very intimidating for people. And some guitar teachers you know make it intentionally hard because that's how they make their living. They want to run you at a snail's pace. But these guys will, you know, teach you what you want to learn. It's a great great thing for everybody for all ages. It's great for your memory now that we're all getting older and we're having to worry about Alzheimer's, (laughs) depression. I mean, it's a good way to, you know, fend all that stuff off. You know, it really makes your brain work.
2: Music rules. All right, Stevie, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for coming on Nostalgic winning Cars you, this you, Okay.
1: You take care. I'll see you when you get back I, in town next week. Take I care. I enjoyed it. Okay, thanks, Robert. You have a great night. Thank you, you too. very much, buddy.
2: I want to thank my special guest, Stevie Bs. Don't forget to check out our store up on 19. In the meantime, hey, tune into Nostalgic winning Cars every Tuesday night for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and music. Don't forget to share it with your friends. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we'll see you at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.
3: Telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there will pay you $10 if you sing into his can.
0: Downtown Dave.
3: I'm not here to make a
0: record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio.
2: WTAN, Clearwater.
3: FM, 106.1.
0: W T C F, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM, 104.3. Listen.